Hey there, it's Bianca from Bold Culture. Just a friendly reminder, it's not only up to your employees of color to fix your diversity and inclusion problem. It's up to everyone. Need help? Visit us at boldculture.co. Welcome to Mixed Company, bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. Hey guys, welcome back to Mixed Company. Um, But unfortunately, the rest of the team's not here. So I'm solo dolo for the day. But luckily, I'm not lonely. I have an audience here with me and I'm here with uh, what? Yeah, that's that's the audience. (laughs) I mean, I just need one. Okay. I don't need a whole lot. I just need one person. Makes sense to me. But I'm here speaking with a guest that it like without making you feel uncomfortable, because I'm sure sometimes like gushing does that. So I met this woman about 10 years ago while I was still in college trying to figure out my life. And I was certain that my trajectory was going to be somebody's regional promotions rep at somebody's record label. And you couldn't tell me no different. Um, and I've been able to also watch her career evolve from working in music to actually becoming one of the most successful women owned, uh, black owned, uh, just dope people owned agencies period uh, at 135. I'm here with Shantae Bacon, who is candid, who is cool, and who was about to tell y'all all the things you probably didn't even know you needed to know. So where we uh, have always prided ourselves on being raw, um, I feel like I might get outrawed today, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with somebody else being a lot more real than I am. So Shantae, welcome to Mixed Company Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How are you? It took you a bit to get here. It you had did. a mo- you had a moment. <laughs> I had a, I had a I had a quite a lift ride over here on the West Side Highway. Mm-hmm. It was something. So don't take an Uber to my next engagement. So is what I don't you're take saying? Uber at all because oh. their customer service is trash. Do you do Lyft? I do do Lyft? You do Lyft? Yes, I okay. do. Um, Nobody likes Uber these days, but Uber be giving me the credit. Customer service is bad. I was an Uber VIP. Were you? I mean, I lived on it, and then I don't know. I came back from Anguilla, and I'm at the airport oh. trying to get a ride back, and they're like. Oh, your account is disabled. I was like, wait a second. So you just got to come up with a plan B because there's no information. There's no. There's lift. There's no. There's no. There's no resolution desk. <laughs> <laughs> there's no manager to speak to, no matter how short your haircut is. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm, as you know, excited to speak to you. Um, I think what would be good because I have context. I have about a decade of context. Um, can you tell us a little bit about just how you got started in your profession? Because you've you've done a lot of things. You are credited with spearheading and launching a lot of things. But I think it'll sound better coming from you because it'll just sound like I'm kissing ass and trying to get a new job. <laughs> so maybe so maybe you should go ahead and tell people like how like what do people need to know about Shantae and how she became the agency owner she is today? So the first thing is it's Shantae Bacon dash Cs. To make sure that I clarify for everybody that I, thank what, you. I got married a thank few you, years thank ago. You. Um, and so the second thing is that, I mean, I'm just going to give you the short version of Please. it. And then if there's any time period where you want to dig in, we could do that. So I went, I'm from Jamaica, Queens. Where at? Um, are you familiar with Jamaica, I Queens? I am familiar. Oh, I, used okay. to, I used to stay with my grandmother every summer yeah. on uh, Sutphin. And yeah, Ferndale, uh huh, and well, Sufton, mm-hmm. Sufton, and Ferndale, and that was what all my summers were until I went to college. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, 
so there's a Queens Village area of Jamaica Queens, and there's a big white castle on Springfield yep. Boulevard, and across from White Castle is a church called Maranatha. Yep. And that block is one um one twelfth road. And I grew up on that street in Jamaica, Queens. Okay. Yes, I did. Okay. So, That's real. Um that so long story short, went to I'm from Jamaica, Queens. Went to Martin Van Buren High School, went to Hampton University, at Hampton University, got an internship with the school radio, sta- radio station, WHOV, then got a college rep gig, one with Def Jam and one with Polygram Group Distribution, which was at the time um, one of the big seven distribution companies, I think. Um, and this is in the 90s, so this was before the music business kind of imploded a little bit. Um, it wasn't and a collapsed. little one. It was a big one. <laughs> and so um, Def Jam happened to be one of the labels that I worked with under Polygram, including Island, Mercury, A&M, a whole bunch of labels. But most of my passion was for the roster on Def Jam. And so I caught the attention of Lior and Kevin. Um, and um, they brought me in after I graduated. Kevin wrote about it in his book, um, in turn to CEO. Yep. Just just to clarify, because you said some names like like is Brendan and Kai, and like those are regular. <laughs> and this is Leor Cohen and Kevin Lyles. So yeah. like this is a big deal. They're the smartest people I've ever met. I mean, I I, I think that they are. I mean, I, I have to credit them with you know the the way that my career has gone because it was a true boot camp, and um, there's no way to overstate what can happen to your life when people invest in you. Mm. And I don't mean money. I mean, mm-hmm. time, taking the time out to correct you when you do something wrong, because I have foot and mouth syndrome. I also am always a risk taker. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's just who I am because I'm curious. I want to learn. And they spent a lot of time pointing me in the right direction and correcting things. And so that has always helped. And then pushing me past my comfort zone and to my limits so that I knew that I'm not working as hard as I actually could mm. if I just take the limits off and go all the way in. Um, That's so, important. Yep. That's so, important. A lot of people don't show you beyond boundaries. Mm-hmm. Boundaries is where they can control you. Absolutely. Giving you freedom to grow. Oh, yeah. And giving you 15 jobs to do when... Um, when you think that you're only hired for one, I mean that's the that's a good thing. I I I can't like even though I was I started off in the sales department. Kevin gave me the opportunity to buy the radio advertising, so I got a chance to understand mm, how that works. Media sales, buying yeah. that all right radio all over the country and doing the radio creative and what that process is like and dealing with the field marketing team and all of that and and, and there's not a single lesson that. I learned back then that I don't use every day in my business. Mm-hmm. Every day. It just, those are lifelong lessons. So, you know, never ever um, underestimate how an intern, I mean, a, a mentor or um, an advisor, really. Right. An, a mentor, an advisor, even someone who, a person does not have to work with you every day or even you have access to them for them to mentor you. I recently did a panel for the advertising club mm-hmm. during during advertising week two weeks ago about radical mentorship. And mm-hmm. basically that's taking a different take on mentorship. It's not like what we think it is. It's not like the person that's under your wing and, you know, it's not Gordon Gecko and Bud Fox. It's not that. It's not <laughs> like you taking somebody along and you got your arm around them or you're cutting them in on deals. Sometimes it's just watching somebody from afar. Sometimes it's just somebody who um, will let you ask them a series of questions for 30 minutes and they'll answer your questions sincerely and you better pick up the gems when they drop them how'd you learn that because I feel like that piece about mentorship not looking like 
a, a cookie cutter version of, of, of what we think mentorship is. I think once people get to know that it can look like anything, mm-hmm. it can come from a book. I think there's mm-hmm. a there's better leverage, but there's like a, a moment or a switch that happens when you go from, okay, this isn't a babysitter. This is literally somebody I'm learning from. Yeah. How did you get to understand that? So I didn't understand that until I started 135th because okay. um, I am one of those people who I don't care who it is. If they look like they're doing something that I want to do one day, mm-hmm. I want to talk to them. Um, mm-hmm. I have I always am ready with some questions and Mona with some Mona Scott Young um, she, no, you keep saying that's like these, <laughs> the people that we the people that we look up to she's like you know Mona yes of course so she when we were on a panel together at Sister Circle a couple years ago mm-hmm. she reminded me that in the beginning when we were first getting to know each other I would do what I'll call a lightning round and I do that with people so I will go there and I'll say can I get 30 minutes and you know these are busy people so um, they're usually when you when you ask somebody for when you ask somebody for their time or their mentorship, the first thing they're thinking is, "Holy shit, how am I going to add one more thing into my schedule?" Right. So you have to make it worth their time, mm-hmm. and so that means that I'm not coming in saying, "How do you do this?" I'm saying, "Okay, here was the issue. This is what I did." something wasn't right how would you have done it because Mm. at least it shows the person that you have tried and you didn't get the specific outcome that you wanted so you just want to know how you could have tweaked it a little bit or what they would have added to it and that helps them to take you not from a to z but from n to z and then people are much more willing to give you some more time if, if you've already taken the initiative to try to solve the problem and you have some real feedback and this this didn't work. And sometimes they learn something from you, too. So anyway, I do these lightning rounds when when I know I'm not going to get a lot of a person's time. I've done it with Mona. I've done it with Melody Hobson. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's Melody Hobson. That is big. Okay? I mean, I mean like, like, it doesn't get any bigger than the that. Next, yeah, like uh, the and, next step is Oprah. Like, oh, after right. that, it's, it's Oprah. There's no, well, there's no place else to go. And so, um, you know, every, I would say every two years, but maybe, mm-hmm. like, with me and Saptosa will reach out and be like, can we meet? And she'll be like, I got 30 minutes. That's, that's and I, I will come in with my, my six questions in my lightning round, ask him, scribble down the answer. Great, thanks. And mm. I'm good. Because, you know, she is very um macro and and top level but her advice is so Mm. on right and you can see that by just seeing her wherever she is right um and so the fact that i get 30 minutes of that yeah i can't quantify that i damn sure i can't pay for it we only get it on (laughs) tv i mean that right you gotta watch what you did and so you know that that is stuff that you can't pay for Mm -hmm. and so you know i think that that's how i had to learn because it's it's all kinds of you know um, uh, industries. So right. in advertising and marketing, it's one thing, right? Right. You know, we're all in entertainment and, and that, well, or I, I was. And so a lot of folks in entertainment I would have access to. And I've always been the person who was never afraid to approach people and ask for advice. Mm. There used to be these conventions called Impact Conference. Was that the uh, music in one? The music business. Yep. Mm-hmm. Back in the 90s. And I'm totally dating myself for those. I was like, everybody used to it. talk about that, but I was like, oh, yeah, they don't it have it thing. anymore. Thanks, Well, guys. now they have the Revolt Music Conference. That is kind. true. And so, um, um, the um, impact conference. So they uh, Keith Klingscales used to do it, um, mm-hmm. and um, I would get the, the the conference magazine. It'd have like thirty photos, little squares of all the executives. I'd circle the mm-hmm. ten people I needed to meet. Come with a resume and cover letter folded up with their name on the envelope. Like I'm gonna meet this person. That's always been me since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to ask for someone's time. But as a, over the years, I've learned. Um, that I, you have to get savvier and savvier about asking for someone's time and make sure that they mm. see the return in it. 
And so that's why I, I don't I don't even know that radical mentorship is something that they call that panel. That's not what I call it. You call it. That's I, just it's just regular. it's just asking someone for time. They don't have to give me that. That's time they could spend trying to make more money. Right. You know what I mean? Time is the only commodity you cannot get back. Hmm. I mean, you can't pay for it and you cannot get it back. If I lose fifty thousand dollars, I can get that back. I can't get back the last hour. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When it's gone, it's gone. It's gone. And so if I'm asking a person for 30 minutes, that's 30 minutes they're taking from, away from their loved ones, away from mon- more money, uh, more strategy, travel. Right. It's not It's not necessarily time that you deserve mm-hmm. or that they yeah. have to give you. So I don't deserve like it. They, they damn sure don't owe it to me. Right. I'm just hoping that they will feel like investing 30 minutes into me. As an investment. Mm-hmm. That's a really good way to put it because I think a lot of people don't even know what kind of questions to ask to your point when mm-hmm. they uh, get these opportunities to meet people so it's like all right they give you 30 minutes now what okay here do you have any advice on this this issue or this challenge that i had so you oh, and, oh and go, ahead. I'm sorry. go ahead one of the things that you just said just sparks something for me if you are granted 30 minutes 45 minutes an hour whatever when you sit down with that person if you come in unprepared and don't know what to say <laughs> it's over like you'll never get it again if you even get the full 30 minutes they're looking at you like wait I agree to give this person 30 minutes and they're sitting here looking at me like a lot of people think a mentorship relationship is that they sit there and that you're going to give a whole bunch of fables and things that they have to go away. (laughs) No, it is not that. It is you sit here. You don't have parables to just just tell people off the top. (laughs) No, it is not that. It's just kind of ridiculous. So like what I tell most people is that a mentor is not picking up where your parents left off. Mm. They are not interested in raising a grown person. They are not interested in giving you anything. They're interested in helping you to figure out the parts you don't already, you haven't already uh, tried or you don't already know. And so um, when, when people come to me for mentorship and I get a lot of requests for, for being a mentor or somebody who wants to intern, um, these days, interns can be a legal, a lawsuit trap, right? right. So it's after that work. big Warner Warner Brothers, Warner Music mm-hmm. lawsuit that kind of rocked the whole industry, everybody was like, oh, I don't know about this intern thing anymore. And most people I know are just like, no, I'm not doing it at all. Mm. Like, are no, they really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. They're like, I'm not setting myself up for that. And then not only that, they look at it like I'm going to bring someone in who doesn't know anything. So I have to spend more of my time investing in folks. And then what is my return on that? I give yeah. my time, I give my knowledge, and then I might still get sued because they're not getting enough. So you have to think about it that way as well, is that it's like um, I, I have plenty of people who I know who are, you know, colleagues. They also own businesses, and own their own agency, and they're like, this is not university. Mm. You pay tuition for an education. Like if you want to work here, <laughs> like this has to you be a, a, a mutual relationship. And so um, a lot of folks don't understand that. And so what I usually tell them is if you and this is after every one of my panels, if you are struggling with something and you need help or you have bullets and questions, the fastest way to get any kind of response from me is to send me a bulleted list of like, I'm struggling with this. What do I do with that? What do I do with this? What do I do with that? Ninety eight percent of people don't do it. Mm. Even though I say send me that, I never get that. You don't get a bullet. What they usually want to do is can we meet and blah blah blah, and that's fine. I'm 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 always willing to meet, but I can't promise you when that's going to be. Right. It has to go in between me living out of a suitcase and you know, travel satisfying clients you know, and, just life. and yeah, life. life and career. And so, 
That makes sense. There goes that. So that's a that's a key point. Hopefully, hopefully, Sim when he gets back, he can cut that up. So it's like just how to how to how to get in touch with Shante. <laughs> <laughs> Just here's some bullet points. That's well, I always it. tell them I, I wake up and I look at look at LinkedIn. Oh, I always tell really? people that yes, LinkedIn is my like I'll check it probably five times before I leave here today. You know what's funny? A lot of people don't use LinkedIn. That's crazy. and I feel like it's so crazy. But I'm also like I don't know how to convince you otherwise. How do you convince people to use LinkedIn? What would you say? Um, I just usually say if you want to reach me, that's where you'll find me. Gotcha. <laughs> I, gotcha. Don't, I, I can't convince you for something of something that is, you know, and LinkedIn's engagement numbers are better than Instagram's at this point. Mm, so it's true. just like, why would you not be on it? Because they don't want to see your entertainment foolery and your videos of cats I running down the street and shit is. like that. Like, no, it's not for that. Cat videos are cool. <laughs> they're cool for Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not cool for LinkedIn. They're not for LinkedIn. That's yeah, not why the we're judgment here. will definitely come down like a hammer on LinkedIn if you are out there posting nonsense. Also, no no sliding in my LinkedIn DMs. Like, that's not what my LinkedIn is for. We don't, we can't. And unless if you're reaching out with opportunity or with a serious question. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I do it. Okay. Oh yes. No, I get the the, the older. There was like a, a, a pilot one day, and I was like, I Oh don't, no, I don't. Oh, understand. you mean that way? Yeah. I, oh I don't no. Understand why we're now here. Now that so. I haven't gotten. No, that was it. Was that was like this is an awkward place for us to meet. Yeah, Instagram DM mm. is usually what that's for. That's what I thought, mm. but I don't know. Maybe he didn't know. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it just could be that you're that cute. It was a good headshot. I okay. guess it's a really nice headshot. Listen, but this ain't it. This is not the place. This is definitely not so the place. So then just tell them your Instagram name. <laughs> I just deleted them. It was fine. It was right weird. Over. It was really weird. It was seriously <laughs> oh, was it weird. Too weird. It was too weird. Yeah. So anyway, so you ended up going from intern to executive in music and then switching over. Or maybe it's not switching. You you let me know how best to label it. But then pursuing your own opportunities um, in marketing after you left. Def Jam mm-hmm. what was that like like what was the thing that that was in your head that was like you know what I can do this on my own and I want to do it differently yeah so um did either one of you see that Damon Dash um interview recently yes you did you saw it well I tend to watch a lot of Dame Dash videos I because I used to do street team at, Rock- at Rockefeller mm-hmm. and people were like he's always screaming I was like I know he always was screaming but he used to say a lot of stuff he was just like really screaming. important stuff he was always screaming but he was always yes right though I, was, I, I heard him more clearly because it was loud nah it's, <laughs> it's one thing if a person is always screaming and they're ridiculous and don't know what they're talking about 90% of the time Damon after you get out your feelings on point after you get out your feelings it's like or what his right. observation was mm-hmm. or if he was like this person right here seems shady or like a piece of shit like you know sometimes he nailed it so I, I just think that you know um I the reason why I brought up the Damon interview is because um he there was something that he said in that interview that was so right he said the music business is a young man's game Mm-hmm. He was talking about from the artist's perspective because the interviewer had asked him about Kanye. Yep. However, on the flip side, even on the marketing end and the behind the scenes um, uh, aspect, I always found that it is a young man's game because when you're looking at your late 20s and what looking into your 30s and what does that look like? 
that's it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be I wanted to be bigger in scope of work, mm-hmm. broader in terms of the things that I could do. Um, an opportunity to be a lot more creative um, and work with a budget that allowed for creativity. Right. Um, and um, not always have the same kind of roadmap to follow. Right. Mm. And I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so I, um, I'm grateful for those years. I really am. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was the experience of a lifetime. And it was a moment in time being at that company at that time. That's nothing but a blessing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I cherish every single moment. But when it was t- like, as as Sheila Eldridge would tell me, bacon. When when something has run its course, it's run its course. Right. Let it go. And so I did. I uh, a new opportunity came up um, in Miami, um, Florida. So I took it because I got tired of complaining, and I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just complaining. Like this is this is over. Um, I went to Miami, and that was definitely the wrong move. And so um, okay. I spent five months in Miami like this is not the Miami experience. And and that that was when I realized that Miami was a much better place to, to visit and not live. Okay. Um, and as a as a New Yorker, there's certain things that I just I need mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I need civilization. Twenty four hours, 24 hours a day, even whether you know, I after a certain not. hour, I, I just I need it. And so it was just um, it was a it was a bad move. But the five months that I spent in Miami, I was um Building the the structure for 135th. I wrote the business plan. Mm -hmm. I had the logo created, got the URLs, got the mission statement done and all of that. So that's what I did during the time that I was in Miami. So I took a one-way flight on July 5th there and a one-way flight back on November 5th. And when I came back, I was ready to rock with Mm -hmm. 135th. And during that time was when I reconnected with Saptosa and all of that. And and then we we started going out and pitching, and the first client that we got was the U.S. Postal Service, mm-hmm. and we worked we helped them with their African American Music Month um, stamp campaign, yes. and then their Hispanic Heritage Month stamp campaign, and then a digital campaign around their uh, their new services, digital services. So we created an American Idol style competition. So that was that was the best way to quickly summarize the how I transitioned from music to film a lot of people couldn't wait to be like see i told you it was the wrong move because family members mm-hmm. everybody was like you're gonna leave a company like def jam what and i was like because i look mean, sexy on the outside when but- you can't sleep and you're having anxiety attacks and ulcers and all kinds of things like it's time to go physical manifestations are really real yes they are. um and i've had a person i've been a person who has suffered from anxiety attacks since i was 24 years old and most people are like oh on the outside you look so calm and that's meanwhile, great meanwhile it's like somebody shook a bottle mm-hmm. up and you're like it's dying yeah on the inside. Yep. and so i was just like this is not i would go up the escalator with my stomach hurting already mm-hmm. <laughs> sunday night anxiety is a real thing and half of you out there know you have it yeah and when I, when i say when i say it at a, at a panel people People say, oh my God, yes, I get that. Like you start sweating at seven o'clock on Sunday night, like shit, I have to go back in there tomorrow. And so I started getting to that point. So to me, I remember making myself a commitment that I would never have a boss again. Hmm. I remember saying that to myself, I will never do this shit again. Um, And I remember saying that I really wanted to be an entrepreneur my whole life because I was raised by entrepreneurs. My grandmother Mm -hmm. had a soda candy shop in Brooklyn in the 1960s, well before I was born. But I heard about it my whole life growing up. Mm -hmm. And my mom had a business trade school in the 80s 
when I was growing up. So I saw, you know, entrepreneurship all over, all around me in the house. She had our basement converted to our office before it became so big that she had to move it onto Jamaica Avenue. Mm. And that they didn't get bank loans and, um, and, and benefactors and people who were funneling money into them. Right. They built it with what they had. And, um, you know, all of that, that, that essence and black girl magic and brown sugar and brilliance and everything else you want to call, you know, you know, mm-hmm. that you want to mix in. They had all of that. And so those women, um, they were, they continued to be an inspiration to me. And that is what helped me, I guess, to tap into this fearlessness. Hmm. Because uh, one, one, I was having dinner with one of my friends, Nicole Moss, who I love. And she, I said, I don't know. Can I leave this job? She was, I was like, I don't know if I should leave. Um, I'm going to be giving up all of this job security. She was like, there's nothing secure about that. <laughs> What's the word? What? She's like, there's, no, there's nothing secure about that the, job. Did the check make, like having a consistent check make you yeah. feel secure? Yeah. And, and, and that was, and she was like, there's nothing secure about that. And, and she had said that like a couple days after Sheila Eldridge said, bacon, when something has run its course, it's run its course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm, you know in my mid-20s at that point. And I'm like, yeah, I'm holding on to everyone else's good idea of what this is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it stopped being my dream. That's powerful. Yeah. Everyone else's idea of what this is. Yeah. It looks good. The house looks good on the outside because mm-hmm. everyone said it looks good, mm-hmm. but it don't feel good. And it don't look a deal. And it has a certain amount of sex appeal when people say, oh, she's in the music business and working at one of the hottest labels. And, you know, you get to work with artists and people don't know what that journey is working mm-hmm. with talent. Like, that's a whole nother monster and so you know it's it's um it's a thing um but you know the journey to entrepreneurship uh and, and i don't mean I'm, I'm not gonna sit here like one of those people who gives a lot of top line um you know one sentence hypey type of work hard work smarter not harder that to me that always was bullshit i've never seen anyone be successful not working hard so if you're trying to get out of working hard you're already defeated in my opinion and i tell that to people on my staff all the time um, you need to work smart and hard. Um, I just think that it's entrepreneurship is the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever mm-hmm. done. And I've invested so much. Would not give it give it up for anything. Mm. Yep. What were those? So for me, right, coming up as a as a college rep in music and seeing that world and transitioning to advertising once I graduated, to me, I was like, this is basically the same business Mm -hmm. were there transferable were there skills that you had that you felt were so transferable that it's kind of like this is it was very a a very seamless transition for you nothing about it was seamless okay um probably the biggest rude awakening when we started 135 was that i thought that a lot of the entertainment industry experience and the relationships was going to matter to people who were advertising insiders Mm. it It was its own the context it was its own beast Hmm. Um, and um, I felt like, you know, obviously 135th is 15 years old. So we're talking 15 years ago. Um, but um, I felt like there's a and I still feel this way today. There's a major lack of respect for entertainment experience. Tell me more about that. It just is. If you come into any presentation and say, I've done all of this in the entertainment world, I find that you're more than likely if the audience you're talking to is not Caucasian, they don't really care about that experience. It's not real. I see. It really isn't. I mean, I've heard some people have been as candid to say, 
Like, if somebody comes in my office and they're coming from the music business, like, what have you done? You haven't done anything. They literally said that to me. Wow. And and this person is a friend of mine, and and because I had just said to him, why is it like this? Like everyone, and they're like, that's not real. Like they, they he's like, if you haven't managed a PNL above two million dollars, like you shouldn't be sitting across from my desk. And people who work in the entertainment business, they ninety percent of them are not managing a PNL. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? They're managing a small artist budget, right? And so you come in and you're thinking. And also, I feel like part of it, if I'm just going to be honest about it, is that there was a moment in the late '90s where I feel like a lot of industry insiders started hustling brand folks. Uh, you pay mm. this, and I'll get so and so artist to do that. And then it was check chasing a lot of it for a good run. Mm-hmm. It was brands like Coca Cola and some of them paying outrageous money for so and so to just go to the event, or you know, this is before social media. Right. And so this is when you know I think a lot of brands got hustled. Um, a lot of people in the in the music industry just did not deliver. They hmm. just, it's kind of like they, they discovered each other. Brands discovered this music business, you know, inside a culture and the music business inside a culture discovered brands. And so for, uh, they, they hit a lick, mm-hmm. so to speak, where yeah. they were just getting a lot of checks. And then after a while, it was like the checks just stopped. Like, wait a second, we need more um, barriers to entry, more qualification right. factors before we just start writing checks because somebody's famous. Right. And so I think that, all of those things factor into how brands and big agencies per- perceive folks coming from the music business. Wow. I mean, that I, I will be honest. I don't, that was not what I expected you to say. So that's actually really good insight. Because mm-hmm. for me coming in as an employee and not as an owner, because I'm not pitching. I wasn't pitching new business mm-hmm. at the time. I'm pitching myself. So it's mm-hmm. more so what can what can I do for the team, which was... I've managed an artist's budget, so I can manage this. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was told to me because mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't know this stuff. But they were like, well, you've done all of these things, and it's pretty much what a project manager does. So mm-hmm. go do it. And got my first job pretty easily. So I was just working under the perception these eight years that, oh, that's what it would be like for everybody, right? So that's actually really good to hear that they're like, mm, but stop. Yeah. No. And maybe it's a difference when you're looking for to interview for a job. Right. Right. Yeah. Because my perspective is always going to be as an agency owner, Mm -hmm. because the truth is, is that everybody who is going to hire you is taking a risk um, and they're making an investment Mm -hmm. in you just as much as you make an investment in them. Because clients sometimes fail to understand that the agency makes an investment in you as well. Right. And so when it comes to that, unfortunately, the reason why we haven't had a lot of African-American owned agencies cycle in. Um, in the last 10 years is because the barriers of entry are so high because the clients are risk averse hmm. because some when of you them, say clients you mean brands mm-hmm. right and because and they're risk averse yeah and because so um, a lot of the legacy accounts that are out there like Coke McDonald's and those kinds of things they've been spoken for for 25 years right it's like you know if 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 someone takes that that client away then another agency goes out of out of business right so, you know, that's how some of the folks that have been uh, around as long as I've been alive, they stay open by keeping those same accounts because it's right. like we can't lose this account or we'll go out of business. Right, right, right. So, OK, so I actually want to go deeper into that more about the barrier of entry, because one of the conversations that we have both on the show and that I've had on panels, like people will tell you, well, if you don't like advertising, just go open your own. 
as if it's like if you don't like advertising go take a nap because that's something we can all do but if the barrier for entry is that difficult I feel like there's a there's some missing context so what is that context that we're missing why is it so hard for people of color and, and black people and black women quite honestly to just start beyond just not being able to get a piece of an American Express or to get incremental business from a Coca-Cola. Like there are, I would imagine that there are smaller brands and there are smaller pop and pop, uh, mom and pop shops, but I just don't see people doing it. And I also, to your point, don't see them succeeding. I don't see a lot of people doing it. I mean, it's um, to me, when you talk about um, if you don't like advertising, when you say that, you mean if you don't like advertising, Working agency in, culture yes, inside correct. the agency, why don't you just go? Yep. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's a... Uh, I'm I'm trying everything in the world to not bring up the, the R word, but it does factor in mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm so tired of talking about it mm-hmm. and it's not going to change anytime soon. But I do feel like, you know, to me, it's inherent... Economic racism mm-hmm. when brands will spend billions of dollars a year, mm-hmm. um, and ninety percent of that is committed to a mainstream audience, a general audience. Um, and I'll just use Hollywood as an example. Mm-hmm. On your average film, right? They get hundred million dollars to market a big blockbuster film. Sometimes even more than that, two hundred million, mm-hmm. right? And if it's like a Avengers, Transformers, something like that. Well before the market is tested or well before they test markets to see if there's an awareness or what the appetite is like for it, they already decide how much is going to be spent with an agency owned by people of color. Hmm. That That's already decided. So they already know we're going to spend this much on creative advertising, this much on the advertising plan this much on the PR and experiential piece, this much on sponsorships, this much on most of the time when you peel back the layers, and I wrote an op-ed in essence about this, is that when you peel back the layers, let's say Black Panther, right? Because mm-hmm. that was an unprecedented amount of Black people hired yeah. to do costume design and from, everything from the, ground up, yeah. from the ground up, right? Even on a film like that, when you look at the backroom um uh, what's the right word? The backroom spend okay, I was gonna say on services, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like products is one thing, services is another thing where you feel that that economic racism. How many black attorneys got paid from that film, hmm. negotiated the deals? How many, I mean, in that particular case, because Ryan Coogler had a black agent, um, Charles King, and I'm sure he has a new one that's that's African-American, but, you know, in that case, there was probably more black agents on that film than not, but how many agents, how many attorneys, how many people who were um, in the, in the, in, in every time they had to hire for services, how many of those people were black? Because normally it's so small, it's embarrassing. Hmm. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. So I think institutional racism makes people believe that if I have a black lawyer or a black agent or a black manager or a black publicist, my career won't go as far. And that's how they get us to be complicit in the racism, by brainwashing the people who are let into the gate 
that I can't have a black right. team because I've made it now and right. I need to keep going. And so if I keep my all my service-based people, if I keep all of them black, then I'm not going to make the A-list. I'm not going to make it as far as I can. I'm not going to be as big as I can be. And so that's part of it. And and mm-hmm. those types of things is the reason why. And that that that's a, the Hollywood example. But how that translates in advertising is when a brand is breaking off the the, the they're breaking down their their budget and allocating who gets what. Mm-hmm. Um, the spend automatically off the top going to the multicultural department mm-hmm. is probably a tenth of what everyone else is going to get. And that decision is made from the top. And traditionally, the justification is, well, it's a smaller amount of the population that we're targeting. So, of course, it has to be a smaller dollar amount. That's I why the word minority that. is used because we're not the majority that. of Americans, right? And so that's what it usually is. It's like, well, it's a smaller amount of people. So, you know, and then that translates to our media outlets. Um, How come black media is dying? Because they never get advertising. Why? And then when they say, well, I can't advertise if your numbers aren't higher. Well, how are their numbers going to be higher? Because you don't ask People Magazine to achieve the numbers they have with this money. Mm-hmm. But you're asking this media outlet, how come you can't have People Magazine numbers? They can't have them because you never advertise. You never give them the A-list talent. You don't give them the same things and the access that you have. And and one of the things that I always tell people, you can be, you can you can fight in your own way mm-hmm. um, without it having to be like some kind of big you know statement that most people catch hives because they they're worried about the risk <laughs> or losing their job or losing their favor with the mainstream or whatever. But like every single project Saptosa and I work, we always force our client to to tell us why they can't advertise with the African American media outlets. We, we force them because Lovely. the truth is if you're going to come to us and say, I have to get press on this. I have to service this clip. I have to get this announcement out. And the demand is that these urban media outlets have to support you mm-hmm. no matter what. We always say, I mean, you know, it, doing a buy with them will definitely help to at least let them know this is a reciprocal relationship, not them them posting about you all the time. And so I think that a lot of times the... Um, so they're coming to get PR and not actually exactly, advertise. Because Got PR it. is earned media, right, as opposed not to paid, paid media. media. And so usually what happens is the 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 African-American agencies are already marginalized yep. because the strategy internally is we're going to reach black people through the PR department because it's less. Oh, so you can oh, you can pay the PR agency way less than you would if you spent Did a, a, media bulk, buy. A, a huge media buy, right? Now, there's definitely exceptions because, you know, we have our top six that always spend a shitload of money to get to black people, and that's Walmart, Coke, right. U.S. Army, P&G. They spend a ton of money to get to black people, right? Um, and they're, they're on the essence floor. They've got the whole... The, 90% of the floor belongs to those six brands, the floor um, at Essence Fest. Yeah, at Essence Fest. If you, you. All you got to do is walk the floor. Got Coke you. has their yep. dance thing over here. McDonald's has yep. their booth. The, the McDonald's store set up inside the convention center. Then you walk, take a few steps. U.S. Army's to your left. Take a few more steps. P&G has this whole section. So they, they, they are going to advertise with African-American communities. But you're talking about six brands, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, But also six brands that are huge and mm-hmm. not... Not to say that they are huge because they advertise or that they advertise with black markets, but 
I'm sure that it helps that they reach out to everybody. Well, they wouldn't do it if it wasn't working. (laughs) They wouldn't do it. Okay. So, I I mean, I really don't think it's a goodwill spin. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, black people eating McDonald's. Yeah, I, I, mean, I wanted the, fries the other day. I'm not gonna lie. I it mean, was, and 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 even and we're not a, a, you know a monolithic group. You know, we have our whole foodies, right? right? Like myself, I'm I'm not doing McDonald's exactly, but there is a large part percentage of, of of our population that still eats McDonald's. If it wasn't, they wouldn't spend the money. That's true. <laughs> they just wouldn't do it. What are your thoughts then on like? Do you consider your agency a multicultural agency? Do you consider one through five? I do. Okay. And so one of the things that also, um, you know, one of the things that I think makes me sad sometimes is that when an agency is owned by a person of color, they have to be so um, self-conscious about mm. the agency being called multicultural. Oh, no, we do mainstream work over here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do we. But what is wrong with us being called a multicultural agency? You know what they're thinking? Multicultural agency gets multicultural budget. That's what they're thinking. And that's a that's a justifiable fear hmm. because it's like as soon as I allow somebody to put that label on me, then I get the the 10% of the big budget, not hmm. the, you know, I don't get any consideration for the bigger budget. And that's true, but I'm not going to run away from calling myself a multicultural agency or run away from my capabilities to engage certain, certain um, segments of the population because I'm worried about that or being marginalized because you can't marginalize me or right. my team because of our talent. Like when the Democrats in Congress hired us to do that hashtag I see us campaign around the tax bill in yeah. November of 2016, um, that was the tax bill that, that Donald Trump and Paul Ryan rammed through. So DCCC hired us. That wasn't an African-American campaign. It was a Facebook ad campaign, and it featured white Americans and Hispanic Americans and black Americans. And they never looked at us like, you can only do this. Mm-hmm. But when we go for a meeting in Hollywood, they're like, oh, black faces, you can only do this. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So it's it just depends on the mentality of the client and um, if they're going to... Um, if they're going to allow you to walk in and paint your own canvas or if they've already painted and they just need you to mirror what they already have in mind. How do you navigate that? Do you, like, do you have a preference between painting your own canvas and, and going in and doing the job they ask for? No. No? <laughs> no. I mean, you know, the client, if the client has a need, your number one goal isn't to try to make them better people or change their minds or anything like that the goal is to satisfy their needs that's so interesting because you like in media in a lot of the thought leadership i'm seeing from agency leaders that is actually what they're saying that they're trying to do that they're trying to create uh change uh Society change the world, change oh, how people right? think. That's what that's what they're saying. Well, and I'm they're like, doing well, how do you that, do but that? they're not putting dollars behind it got in it. terms of it being reflected in the work. Then got it's it. just a talking point. Got it. Got it. Got or it. Or it's just some information in their annual deck on diversity. But like, Which is I usually mean, where they are speaking to. It. So okay. the bottom line is, you know, this country is a capitalist society, mm-hmm. and uh, money talks. Mm-hmm. And if you want to change the world, put dollars in places where you don't normally. Hmm. And that's the way you do it. Mm. No, that is very, very I'm just fair. saying, like, everything else is a talking point. We can have 100 kumbaya conversations, but the bottom line is that the agencies react to 
um, what profit mm-hmm. and, and whatever is going to get them more business. And one person who is I also will remain nameless. Um, he said to me something like, I mean, diversity is nice. And I'm, this is a direct quote. He said, I mean, diversity is nice and, you know, it's a great concept and it's something we should do. But if I'm not going to lose a client for it, like it's just not a priority. Mm. That's what he said. And, and that's the it's realest real. talk. That's real. Because he's like, we're in here trying to, you know, keep the stock price from plummeting right. and keep the investors happy and keep the board happy mm-hmm. and all of that. And he's like, you know, I've got to deal with those things. Like, this yeah. is a C-suite level person. He's like, if I'm not going to get a lose a client over it, and that's why, um, oh, what is his name? Uh, Antonio Lucio. Mm, that's why Facebook. he's like, oh, well, if you don't, um, if, if you're the team that comes in to meet with us doesn't reflect the marketplace, you will lose the, the client. And that's the first person who has been out there, like, um, putting you on notice, like, this time you will lose the client. Mm-hmm. Then the team starts diversifying all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? Mm, that's actually a really good. That's okay. So do you think, do you have a question? Is that, were you raising your hand for a question? What's <laughs> like, is that, is that, <laughs> is that what was happening? Hilarious. Um, no, well, do you then feel that, and I guess we kind of went over to diversity, which is great. Cause I was going to be the next question. Do you think that uh, the burden of shifting diversity within agencies within all of these industries quite frankly because to me there there's overlap with entertainment and with uh advertising and anything where people have to communicate does it sit with the brand does it sit with the clients then I think that at the point that we're at where diverse the diversity industry has become its own for-profit industry where people are um, trying to monetize a title and pay for to put themselves on panels and build their personal brand and um, they they're they're protecting their personal brand rather than being a change a, a rainmaker and 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 making people uncomfortable and that kind of thing. I think that um, the burden cannot rely on a chief diversity officer. It's gonna at this point it'll have to be mandated by the brand. Mm-hmm. Because you see that I can you could Google right now and find articles that have come up about when Antonio Lucio was at HP and he mm-hmm. said putting my agencies on notice like that made mm-hmm. the news in October of what 2017. Yeah, it was General Mills and and HP. Uh-huh. They had and, a mandate. They had a, right, and and that made the news because it was the first time. A brand said, "Okay, we can't leave it up to you. Since you're so worried about keeping my business, now you can only keep my business if the team comes in with a diversified look and mentality, mm-hmm. diversity of thought, diversity of socioeconomic background, and all of that." And so, I think that it right now, to me, if somebody asked me, I would say it looks like it needs to be on the brand, yeah, because. The in the diversity uh, concept has become an industry. Yes, it's become an industry of conferences, panels, books, um, promotional events, clicks, um, big time jobs, and things like that that get a lot of press. But you don't know if do you if do? it's <laughs> if it's changing the culture. And so, just like everything else, you know that is 
for profit, then the mission becomes diluted a little bit. And there are hardworking people with all the best of intentions who want to make change and that kind of thing. But once you become part of the big mechanism, you know, you become a cog in the in the system. Mm-hmm. Just like with politicians, I truly believe there's not a single person who runs for office who says, I'm going to go in there to be corrupt. I don't believe that. Really? I believe every, it's just like, with De- De- Devon Franklin, he's a friend of mine. He mm-hmm. said to me one day, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm going to wake up today and make a really bad film. <laughs> it was like they just don't do it. Everyone has the best of intentions to make the best film that they can make. And some of them come out bad. And it's not because they woke up and said, you know what? I really need this money so I can make a bad film. And I really believe that there's not a single politician who wakes up and says, I'm going to go in there so I can be as corrupt as possible. I think that they all start off wide Have we not been watching the same news? No, but listen. What do you mean? (laughs) I don't think any of them start out that way. So I think they maybe not up. this morning, but they no, no, did no, no, one not morning. in the morning. I mean, starting their career. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think any of them get into this game saying I'm going to be corrupt. I think they all get in it wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, and say I'm going to change the world. I really do. Mm-hmm. And then they get inside the mechanism. Then you become a part of a bigger thing, mm-hmm. and they see how the the Republican Party and the Democratic Party how they work how together the work locally together. and federally, and how who pulls the strings and who decides who's the can, who the candidate is going to be, mm-hmm. and how you raise money, and then they become a part of the system, and all of the bright eyed, big pie in the sky ideas, those things fall to the wayside, mm-hmm. while fundraising becomes your main mission because you need it for your survival mm-hmm. and relationships become your main thing because mm-hmm. you need people who have money to keep your campaign alive and all of those things familiar. that sounded so great <laughs> when you were brand new and out there and you fist in the air like we're gonna go do this we're gonna change the world that shit goes away right. because all of the other parts that you have to fit into and figure out how to make this work and none of these politicians um and and this is going to be a, a really big statement to make but None of the politicians who are in the pocket of the NRA, they don't enjoy that feeling. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. need that money. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that they're right for it. There's no profiles and courage in the Republican Party right now, but they're afraid. (laughs) They are a part of a big machine Mm -hmm. and they are afraid and they don't know what to do. So right now they'd rather just do nothing. Mm -hmm. And then their leader says, you can't go against me and I'm with this guy. So it's like, you know, those people, they're not enjoying this ride. Not at all. They're not having fun. There's a little bit of cowardice in it. Well, a lot of it. But they are, they're they're not, they're just a part of a system. And I feel like the same thing happens with this, this, this marketing and advertising industry and the diversity effort. I just feel like. What, you could take a person who's got, you know, big dreams and I'm going to change this and I'm going to change that. And then they get on the inside and they get a big it title different on the and they inside. get a big salary. And now you've got something personally invested that you have to protect. I want to keep this job. I want to preserve this. I want to preserve this salary. Mm-hmm. I don't want to risk any of this. Like I'm, I'm going to shake. I'm going to uh, uh, rock the boat, but um, only with so much because I don't want to scare them and I don't want to mess up this opportunity. Mm. Then, then you become part of the problem because your opportunity didn't matter when you were on the outside. You said the right thing. Right. And now that you're on the inside, you have all kinds of caution signs up and yellow lights blinking because you're like, wait, 
I don't want to lose all of this. And then when you start building your brand and you got a publicist and you're paying for yourself to be on panels every month and you're traveling all over, now your ego's invested too. Right. Not just your finances. Do you think there's balance? Can people find balance in uh, making change, working in this business and still maintaining a high profile? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> Me too. I was I was like really like fingers crossed like can can we do it? Can people like you do it? Like you have your own agency. You have your own ship to guide mm-hmm. and therefore the majority of the investment comes from you. So I imagine if you say something that is overly candid, you're just like, mm, "I'm the boss." But for people that are working, getting paychecks and they're not the one signing the check do you do you you think that you that there are people that can like do it right make some change and and still get a check i hope so i mean to be honest with you the freedoms that i enjoy as a as a as an entrepreneur um most people don't know what that's about and they wish they did um Mm -hmm. but they're not willing to, to make the sacrifices that it takes to be an entrepreneur um, and honestly, if I didn't have the mom that I have, I wouldn't either. Mm. She, every job I ever saw her have, she told them to kiss her ass when she got tired of them and she had her own business. And I guess that's kind of where I get it from because I, um, to me, freedom isn't free. Hmm. It costs, it, it's, it has, it has an incredible cost. And, um, most people don't want to pay that. Um, you you were there that day when we were at Valerie's house and she mm-hmm. was and she was like I, was I quit really, my job. <laughs> she said I didn't really like the way that that freelance life felt, not knowing when I yeah. was going to get my check. And that was real talk because yeah. some people are like I'm not willing to do that, right? So, a lot of people. Yeah. And so when you when folks are just you know they're like my comfort level can be pushed but so far yeah and um you know they're they're not going to speak candidly because their their financial comfort is king like it's like i got bills i got a family i got a house i got expenses i want a certain standard of living i'm not giving this up to go be somebody's activist i'm not doing Mm -hmm. it (laughs) because that's what is activist entrepreneurs are activists for sure yeah because they're usually not a part of the industry like i remember having this conversation with melody hobson and she was like listen welcome to the club every industry is happy she said every point you just made about advertising i can make about investment banking right and she did the ted talk and everything else about the same points it's every industry they're all way behind in terms of diversity but marketing and advertising i feel like just the marketing of the diversity industry is like a runaway train mm. and it's never it doesn't demand results it's just yes, all you have to doesn't. do is have the gig right and it hasn't demanded go- results since 2008 when they had that huge uh the the, the the commission, New York City Commission, brought the Elliot Spitzer exactly, mm-hmm. and he was holding people accountable. That was and it. And then we lost two years, and that was it. I felt the loss at least when he, you know, was out of office. Right. Um, and it was, you know, he held the industry accountable. Yeah. And find people like right. we've given you a chance to correct this. You're not interested in that. And he find them. And yeah. so um, find companies. And so I feel like, you know, when it comes, are there going to be any profiles and courage who actually speak the truth? Probably not hmm. when you're when you're when you're when your finances and your livelihood depend on it. For example, 
Um, in 2015, I was on a PR week panel um, for during the their their annual conference, their awards or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was on the diversity panel. It was me and um, shit. I can't remember this guy's name. I always forget it. I'm not even going to name none of the people on the panel because it was so clear to me that three people were put on the panel to say diversity is great. It's wonderful. We are making so much progress and this and that. And me and the guy who was sitting next to me, we were there to be the, you know, just like on on CNN and MSNBC, there's somebody for and Mm -hmm. against the topic. We were there to be the people that were like, no, not making that much progress. And so we made some really core points that we had to be very straight up about it because they put somebody from the PR council on the panel Mm. who was just there to say diversity is great as an industry. PR has made so much. Oh, absolutely. And so we didn't realize until we were on the panel like, oh, they're here to talk about how diversity is wonderful and there's no and then have people who are like, it's great in my company. Right. I'm good. I call it the PR of diversity. Some people are just here for the press. We're just here for the the And they were fine. They're like, I get well paid in my company. It was great here. And, And I was like, wow, okay. And so after the panel was over, Uh no less than six people of color came running up to me from different companies. I'm not even going to say which companies. And they were like, girl, you were speaking the truth. Girl, you were saying everything I can't say. They are not going to, they are thinking the same things and not going to say it because their check is dependent on it. Right. And so, no, I don't think there's going to be some balance where one day you can preserve your situation, but still say what needs to be said. And there's a high cost for saying what needs to be said. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, um, I, sometimes, you know, I, I, I have to just, if it's a situation where I just, I really can't, like I need to say something, I will say it. Because sometimes the racism is so blatant, right? And I, and and they'll be like, "Oh, we don't need to spend no money with them. They're going to come anyway." I've heard clients in, in Hollywood say that to me on quite a few big, 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 really? big films. Like, "Oh, I don't need to spend any money on them. They'll come anyway." But see, okay, even just hearing you say that, like, I feel like that's what's important to hear because I think we say these things amongst ourselves. Oh no! And then somebody in the, like at the table will be like, "Man." We need to start telling ourselves these stories. And it's kind of like, I, I don't know if they're always stories. Like, I feel like this is true. Like, I haven't heard it, but I feel like I've heard it. But now, you're telling me you've heard me. it, she so I believe like, it. I mean, it's not like they're not in already come, you know what I'm saying? And there's so many times when I'm told that the African there's no room left in this this event or special screening for the African American people, and I'm like, so you have a room of four or five hundred people, but you can't let these thirty five people in, and they will fight you to the mattresses about that those thirty five seats, and I'm like, that just can't be. And sometimes I'll go to battle, and sometimes I'll just say, you know what, I really can't right now, but I will make sure that they know that I think it's wrong, but. No one's gonna back me up on that. Right. Like it's a it's a hit that I'll need to take. And I've lost business for being candid really? and letting people know. Like this is not right. Like what you're doing right now is not right. And and the the last thing that they're looking for is for you to get out of your Negro place and tell them, you know, what is and is not, you know, right. Mm-mm-mm. It's some oh, one more question about diversity and then I wanna ask you like my final, final question. Um, do you find that you are asked mostly to speak on panels about diversity or do you get called in to speak about your profession? And I asked that because, so I was in a conversation yesterday um, with 
a few, as you saw, quite a few women of color that work at this, that the agency I'm at right now. And one was like, I refuse to speak on any more panels because they only ask me to do diversity panels. But she's super senior. Um, what what has your experience been with being asked to speak? What do they want to hear Shantae say? Um, so I also, like her, have made a decision to not do any more diversity panels at all. Um, I get I, I do probably like six speaking engagements a year, right? Okay. I've done Essence Festival a few times, and I did the advertising ad age um, small con- small agency conference. Mm-hmm. I've done some PR week stuff um, and things like that, and uh, PR news. I, I taught a class on oh. Um, oh shit, what the hell was the the class that I taught for them? It was um, empathy. A, something I was gonna say, about you did a whole empathy. curriculum, and you I did a whole curriculum. <laughs> It was two years ago, and it was no, no, was it two? No, it was four years. Ago, oh, okay, four that's years all right. ago. That's a long time. And I think it was on empathy, okay. the power of empathy, um, and uh, power of empathy in videos when mm. you create content. Yes, mm. and so that was that. Um, I did the master class right. in July for Advertising Club, and so. Um, I was scrolling through LinkedIn one day and saw somebody say, why do all the black people always get booked for diversity panels? Mm-hmm. And that's actually our fault. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, that diversity has become a for-profit industry all of its own. Mm-hmm. And you have a million executives out there trying to get their own publicist, trying to write a book, trying to pay for panels for them to get on and talk about their diversity um, experience or them being head of diversity at this like it's so many I I can't even tell you how many times we get the call throughout the year like I want to build my brand I can tell you the whole call because it's always someone who's gotten some new big diversity position or whatever and that and I I respect it you know like this is your moment you want to shine but it's just that what we're doing is teaching the entire industry to book us for diversity for panels. Black stuff. I'm we like, when do people get on panels about tech. raising money yeah. um, for yeah. your business, um, scaling your business uh, strategy? So that's the reason why I'm really loving the um, relationship that I have with Advertising Club. Um, uh Thanks to Gina Grillo and and my friend Erica Riggs, but they give me an opportunity to, to speak about things other than. Um, Diversity. So last year I did a panel about multi generational workplaces. Oh yeah, I moderated that. Oh, uh, you did. That's I right. I and so that's a whole other <laughs> yep. conversation that we never talk about. Yep. And that was so interesting because the people at one thirty fifth go from twenty two to fifty six. Yeah. And so yeah, we got a couple of different generations going on in the workplace. How do they work together when they don't even speak the same language? Some have been raised on a screen, and some are like, "What's that?" Right. What's that thing called TikTok? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you got to, that, that's a whole conversation. I'm like that. What is, is, that, is that the Snapchat? <laughs> is that, is that so it? Then you have um, uh, the, the, the panel I did this July, the, the, the class I taught mm-hmm. them, the master class, um, which was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And that was more about what your you work. need to put together for your business, right? Yeah. It's your brand. How do you protect that baby and raise it? And that's what the masterclass was about. Then they gave me a chance to talk about radical mentorship. Yeah. And a lot of people came up to me like, I never thought of mentorship that way. And then on November 14th, I'm keynoting the DRUMS um, Agency Acceleration Conference. Oh, dope. And I'm talking about how the future is independent and how 
big agencies every day we're reading articles about how big agencies are suffering because mm-hmm. we're moving towards a project-based culture mm-hmm. so they're not getting all of these five and ten year commitments yep. from their clients anymore i was working or on project-based clients, work at an agency for a long time yeah three and years. so it's that's rough. uncomfortable for somebody for people who are used to getting retainers retainers mm-hmm. that for multi-year retainers across several different industries and now like we're pitching every month for work you're pitching every month mm-hmm. and so my keynote is about the fact that you know small and mid-level agencies they have been built on a project-based yep. culture no commitments have been made to them that they can go to bed at night and know that this money is secure they're they're on the hunt all the time yep. delivering results for clients and constantly having to pitch yep. new business and so and then in a decentralized workplace yep. not feeling like you have to have one big office with everybody in the office it's and an being able to ha- work remotely that is there's so old traditionally minded advertising and marketing people they don't they they don't understand they don't get it. they're like wait really i mean they think it's they think it's less productive it's, and it's less professional or exactly. something's wrong it's a small company or it's not serious right. right and then just the um the idea of how you staff an account Mm-hmm. A small to mid-level agency, they have to match the right personality and skill set with the project and the client. And the right and level because you can get more for your money. You're stuck with the people that you have, yep. right? Unless if you're going to outsource, which a lot of them are doing now. Right. And not having a culture where you have a ton of admins yeah. and a couple senior people. Now it's more senior people and way less admins. So mm. it's all about how the future is independent because big agencies are trying to be like you. Yeah. So you can drop the anxiety about trying to be like them or trying to impress them or trying Mm -hmm. to meet their metrics because the world is changing Mm -hmm. i mean you have we work and soho house and spring place and the wing and all these other places where people are working from now and so so, people tell me people work from soho house i've never been to soho house to work (laughs) well that's because (laughs) people tell me they always go work there and i'm like "Mm." that was the first in a long list of these clubhouses right right? there's chief and all these other ones and the the gathering spot in atlanta okay um and so and that's a black owned one right um shout out to them but they you know the um the fact that office space jim kramer talked about this last week on mad money and he was like why am i not investing in 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 a lot of these big real estate um investment trusts because um the culture of work is that people are working remotely they're not going into office space so you have a lot of available office space in new york now because it's not the same anymore so you know, why would you invest your money in an industry that's being disrupted right now? People are working from clubhouses or they're working from home. Mm. But just a, a, a 21st century mentality yeah. is what what I think small to mid-level agencies, that's the advantage that they have over companies that are trying to preserve their traditional culture at mm-hmm. all costs. Nice. Okay, so my last question is, for me, a fun one. Although that last conversation, it'd be great to bring you back to talk more about that next year or have that conversation anywhere but what is uh or do you have a favorite um accomplishment or achievement or um i don't know project or campaign that you've worked on what's like your most favorite like this is my claim to fame like i i i am me because i did this what's that for you um i don't have one single one of those um for me uh, the accomplishment I'm proudest of is being able to start a business and grow it and still thrive. You're still here. 14 years later. Because mm-hmm. usually the story of a black entrepreneur is that you start it, 
you do well for a couple of years and then it closes mm-hmm. or you go get a job or you get folded or whatever. And being acquired or bought out is definitely always an option. But the bottom line is we created what we wanted to, which was a safe space for black creatives mm-hmm. in communications and marketing. And our team is they're proud to work at 135. They learn a lot. They work together as a team. They have a great bond that we are sometimes surprised at. I love them. Mm-hmm. You know, we love seeing them thrive. And um, it is sometimes it's somebody who has been working with us for 10 years and they might work with us once a year, but they're mm-hmm. still part of the family. That's it might be somebody like yourself. When I was out doing the uh, recruitment for the all hip hop college rep gig, a girl named Latoria who went to um, Clark Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I think it was Clark Atlanta or Spelman or something like that in Atlanta. But she, it's 10 years later. She's still working with us. Right. Um, she's activating right now for Disney's Maleficent. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Which so, looks really dope, by the way. Yeah. So, I mean, those, those uh, we have redefined what it means to have an in-house team. Mm. We have redefined what work culture looks like. And it works for us and it keeps our business healthy and thriving. Um, and if I had to point to the some work that I've done that I would say I'm so proud to have been a part of that, I would say it would be the work that we did with Google. Mm. If I had to define a dream client, not just at Essence Festival. So they did an RFP. Um, and Valicia Butterfield-Jones, mm-hmm. she um, suggested us for the RFP. Um, and, uh, you know, sisterhood, there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have to recommend us, but she did. Um, and so she recommended us. I think we competed against four other agencies. They were looking for an urban agency of record. We got the business. And for the two and a half years um, that we worked with them, with that team that was there, the stuff that we did working on the Equal Justice Initiative mm-hmm. and the launch of lynching in america brian stevenson's project to talk about the lynchings um you know just the um to 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 help a a client change the mindset around um you know just a natural curiosity for what this culture is like and that they don't get it and how do we demystify ourselves and how do we make ourselves more attractive to this audience i think everything about the mindset and the approach that they took in developing a relationship with the community, it's it's all good stuff. Mm. This is all amazing, and you pr- you probably said much more. You said much more than I expected. Not probably. You actually did. So I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your humor. <laughs> I don't think I was that. Funny. I was like, I was like, oh, it's a lot of shade in here. Mm, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna sit right here and just kind of listen to it. So I appreciate that. I didn't even really get in on the shade, but okay. <laughs> right. I was like, it was, it was so for you. It was so surface level. It was like for everyone else, it's gonna be like, oh. I don't know what she's talking about. Oh, oh did I? Because I really didn't name a lot of people. You didn't name nobody, oh, okay. so it's fine. It's perfect. Yeah, it's just... perfect. It's perfect. I think for me, though, this is, like, really good to hear the inside of what goes down. Um, because especially on the show, like, we speak to a lot of people who work at the agencies. You are the agency owner. So mm-hmm. you get in the building and people say the crazy shit to you that like we just assume they say like I'm sure everyone says I mean well they're the minority so why would we give uh-huh. up the majority of the budget yeah why would we even think about like it's, a, it's a, like, oh you you heard that so like thank you for sharing that because people story try that not I to tell you so badly about do you want to tell it I, I really can't okay I'll stop recording I really can't but I, I can tell you after the recording but it's it was a a, a really big high profile film in in our community mm-hmm. like it was celebrated it was mm-hmm. like one of those moments you know we only got five so everybody's MLK, like <laughs> MLK weekend 
And um, one of the, the the black media outlets came to me the night before and was like, do you know they, they uninvited us from the, <gasps> from the screening? And I just, I, I said, wait, she said, this is my good girlfriend, too. She well, MLK Weekend? It was, no, the release of the movie was MLK oh. Weekend, so this was, like, right before. And she was like, they uninvited us. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, they said that. Um, they had a, a lot of because they weren't expecting mainstream interest on the film on the film, and so they had a lot of mainstream interest and uninvited all the black people. And if I say the rest, they're gonna know. But it they happened. basically These put things the, happen. all, all the black people in a little itty bitty theater on a rickety balcony, and they all had to watch the film together, separated from the actual big event. And I was like, "Are you huh. serious?" And so I said something about it, huh. and she looked me in my eye and was like, "But I mean, I don't know, like." The mainstream audience is bigger. Like I would have done the same thing, and I was. <laughs> and when I when I tell you, you the film, what when I tell you the film, you're gonna be like, wait, what? I can't. I can't wait say. To it. Yeah, no, it's fine. Me. It's totally fine. Is this fine. going live right now as we no. speak? Oh, okay. no, you got a week. I'll, I'll <laughs> oh, okay. probably edit it over the weekend, and yeah. it'll either be like Monday or Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but Shante, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Um, hopefully, can we, we talk one to- more thing? Yes, one more thing. Okay. Tell the people everything. So one more thing. If you're not Russian, totally I'm not Russian. My my, my, my oh. dinner meetings in nine minutes, but I totally have to. Oh, you do got this. to meet. This is a ten minute yes. walk. So. Um, when you are on the inside at an agency, because, uh, you know, everybody's talking the talk right now on social media about supporting black business and hashtag black excellence and all of that. When you peel back those social media layers, the actual action doesn't align behind those words a lot of the time. When you are on the inside at a really big agency or holding company, the best thing that you can do for black agencies is to, I feel like with each other, we're overly critical. Like, the say a kind word. Maybe we should just bring them in to just have a conversation about that. that. I'm just saying, like, you don't have to spend money to support an agency. Sometimes it's just mm. saying a kind word or... Adding them to the RFP making list. Making sure people... Adding them to the RFP list. Let them go present. You don't have to put oh, your name on I them. just you, heard about It costs them. you nothing. Yeah. This, these people might just be somebody you might want to talk to. I mean, literally, there's so many ways. And I have to constantly say on my Instagram because I feel like... We suffer from, um, you know, like when you have a, a pond of, of, of um, what are those fish? Those? Koi fish? No. Oh. You know, the ones Catfish? that... Catfish? No. Crabs in a barrel? No. no. The ones that are... Oh, Goldfish? Uh-uh. No, the really <laughs> aggressive ones. When you drop meat in it, you know, those... Oh, piranhas. Like, yes. When you have a pool of piranhas and you drop a crumb in there, everyone goes for the one crumb, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like... That's how we're kept uh, in line, right? And how we're 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 always distracted by yeah. fighting each other for the crumb, rather than noticing that we're missing out on the whole pie, right? Right. So the there's all, there's not a lot of business out there for agencies of color. So when the the business does go out there, then everybody's attacking each other and let me undercut so and so's credibility mm-hmm. and the whisper campaigns and the negative yep. words. And sometimes it's people who have never worked with you, don't even know you, but they heard the negative word and they're keeping it going. And so I think the best thing that you guys can do as people who are on the inside at an agency is encourage the agency to get to know something more about the the, the smaller agencies mm-hmm. that are owned by people of color. Don't be the person who I've had a lot of meetings with people who were like, I mean, I really love you guys and this and that, but, you know, like 
they're really like, they're not trying to see any mom and pop shops. I was like, but isn't that your role is to introduce them to You're like, in procurement. That's companies. literally your job. That's literally your job. And <laughs> he, and well, there's a few of them, but he was so worried about how he was going to look if yeah. it was too small of an agency. And these days, like, you know, the agency has changed. The, the agency world has changed. And if you're too scared to bring in a new face so that they can see it, get to know it, maybe think about them in a different way, maybe even tier two or tier three level work, yep. like you're counterproductive and you're part of the problem. Yep. You know about these agencies because you're in the community. But if you're not telling anyone about it and if you do open your mouth is to say a criticism or to a negative word, like... Don't don't be that person. Mm. So with that being said, how do people find out about 135th and how can they find and follow and, and link in with you? Um, well, 135 is visible on LinkedIn and Instagram the most. Um, and um, if you want to see weekly updates on the work, like we just had a really delicious New York Times bite on a, a show on called Family Time on Bounce TV. That was a, a really great get. We just had the um, Journeys and Adidas um, experiential activation in Atlanta last weekend before last. That was fantastic. We got some really exciting stuff coming up with Google around some a research report that they um, they have coming out. But just go to the Instagram page. You can see the photos. You can see the video. You can see what's going on. And you can always hit me on LinkedIn. Also, um, look out in the new year because Saptosa Foster, my business partner and I we have a podcast called step into my office that oh. we're launching and it's really all to, to talk about business challenges in business and take your business questions and answer them so we're Amazing. talking about introvert extrovert syndrome Whew. and how you to pull the best out of yourself because I'm an extrovert septos is an introvert how do you pull the best out of yourself how do you be an extrovert that doesn't scare the shit out of people mm -hmm. when you're networking or trying to meet them what um, you don't want me to sit on your lap what <laughs> right. what like how do you do that and uh, we talk about that we talk about you know just the the smoke and mirrors of the hashtag black excellence on social media for a bunch of people that won't even hire black agencies mm -hmm. or people who always shouting about black excellence and black this and that and then they bypass all the black people on the red carpet. Like, we get into all of that. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking about all of that. Oh, man. Yep. <clears throat> well... Thank you so much. I hope you guys, um, I hope you guys actually really listen to this episode. I think I say that all the time, but there were a lot of things in this conversation that I've learned that I'm probably going to uh, have to comb through myself and listen to a couple times. Um, make sure you guys listen for our next episode when we got the full team and Karina remote. Um, we are also nearing the end of the year, so you guys know you got to stay tuned for our house party episode in December. And pretty much that's it. Thank y'all for listening. Um, you know where to follow us. You know where to find us. We'll holla. Peace. Peace.